All right. Um, yeah, I'm just checking the sound here. Yeah, I think it's good. I can hear myself better. Yeah. All right. Um, how many of you guys have been to... I'm going to be talking about China, but I'm not going to publish. You know, that's why it says East Asia, but... Um, but I'll be um, talking about my experience in China. I've uh, lived there for six years. Um, how many of you guys have been to China? Are you Chinese? We have some Chinese. Yeah? No? Okay, I wasn't sure. So, what, maybe half people here have been to China? For any length of time? Long time? Short term? Yeah? Short? Yeah. Our, um, see, how many of you are students in some, like, medical student, resident... Something like that, yeah. All right. And um, how many of you are educators, um, medical or otherwise? Yeah, like an attending teacher, something like that. Yeah, professor. That's great. Well, um, there's a, a variety of talks uh, at this conference related to uh, medical education. So um, we try to put a variety in there. So hopefully you'll find something that's of use to you. Um, I'll be uh, talking today about um, my experience um, teaching um, in uh, the People's Republic of China. So, and I was, um, I'm a pediatrician, um, and uh, I spent six years in China. I uh, just recently uh, moved back to Thailand, uh, but I was part of a uh, residency program there. And so um, today, some basic learning objectives, and hopefully we'll cover all these. It's going to be a, a general talk about some of the specific challenges related to uh, China and other Asian cultures and their specific uh, ways that they learn. And um, how, in my experience as a Westerner, going to China and teaching uh, medicine. Uh, so basically, I taught the pediatric portion of a family medicine training program. And it was through a, it's, it was through a, uh, it's a Christian organization, and we were affiliated with a, uh, a university, but it wasn't a, a formal residency, because family medicine actually is just emerging as a uh, specialty, actually. <laughs> they have all the specialties, but family medicine is a, is a relatively new specialty, if you will, in China. And there's a... Now that the government, and I'll talk more about this, is a much greater push for more generalists uh, in the country and wants to establish uh, family medicine residencies. They have training programs for other specialties, but they want to establish training programs for family medicine. And so, but part of leading, leading the way um, and seeing the need for more uh, generalist education are... Uh, a few pockets of, of Christians who, who are there teaching. And uh, our clinical work is done through charitable outreaches. Uh, for example, we go to orphanages, medical foster homes, nursing homes. Uh, we do countryside clinics. We have a clinic in the city, uh, a charitable clinic. And uh, there's also academic afternoons and didactic lectures. But all the clinical bedside teaching is, is done with the marginalized and um, poor and other people like that. So it was it was quite fantastic. And our residents uh, were Chinese doctors, and they were there by choice um, to learn. And we it was generally a, a residency where we paid the residents a fair wage to learn. And they we had a structured program based uh, loosely based on uh, residency guidelines here in the States for family medicine. And it was about three years, but it usually took about four for them to complete everything by the time uh, we got all the rotations and things like that. So that's the background to uh, the program. I'll tell you a little bit about healthcare in China. Um, there's actually quite a bit more to say about that that I can fit and still uh, talk about everything I want to talk about. Um, but basically... Uh, it's very difficult. There's a wide span of healthcare available in China. And I just want to say, um, just as a, as a little disclaimer first, is that sometimes some of what I'll say sounds down on China, um, but I'm just telling you from my experience and what I've seen as, as, as what's true and real um, for many people and other people 
um, seeing different parts of China, having different experiences. In China, everything can be true, and the opposite of that is present in China. It's a humongous country, and there's a wide variety of medical services and, and availability of medicine and everything. Um, so just want you to know that um, there are some very not particularly favorable things about healthcare in China, but the point is, is that China is beginning to see that and admit it. Um, there's a, articles, a series of articles in The Lancet from 2008 and 2010 uh, detailing some of, their, some of the needs that they've identified and some of the goals and objectives in their medical reform as far as education all the way through medical insurance. So um, just so you know, in, in China there's more people over the 60 than under 5 years old. Um, partly due to the urbanization, uh, the one-child policy, and, and people's unwilling to have large families. Um, lots of people do, but lots of people don't. Also, physician, hospi physician and hospital mistrust is an all-time high. You repeatedly hear uh, stories about physicians being stabbed <laughs> or attacked um, because of their misdiagnosis. There's, in, in August of 2010, last year, there was an article in New York Times about a hospital in the city uh, where I worked about hospitals um, being attacked and, and particular physicians um, being singled out just um, because the patients were unsatisfied with the care that they got. Um, as far as a public health care and preventive health care, it's, it's not very emphasized. And so when you're talking about primary care, it's a whole paradigm shift for them to think about actually going to the doctor when you're not sick. <laughs> um, for pediatrics, they get vaccines. Their vaccine schedule is one shot per month. And so you, with a lot of caregivers, if you have two parents and four grandparents, uh, compliance is actually fairly good. Uh, for those who, whose access to vaccines is available, okay? And so, but it's one shot per month, but they don't do exams. They don't do physical exams. They, they just give a shot and they're sent out. Car seats, I've seen one, my whole six, I've, I mean one Chinese person. <laughs> I've seen foreigners um, bring over their own car seats. I've seen one Chinese family use a car seat in my whole six years there. And um, newborn screens aren't, aren't universal. I think they cover about 48% of newborns actually get newborn screen, and that's only for PKU and TSH. Um, those are the only standard newborn screens they get. Um, I talked about uh, <coughs> the Lancet articles. Uh, this is a, an orphan um, that came out of an orphanage, and this is a guy. There he is. Uh, this, is this is six months after we put him in foster care. Um, so there is, uh, you know, it's just a food, uh, nutrition, love. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about the, the pediatric care, but there's a, there's a lot of, you know, when you look at statistics from China, um, you have to understand that uh, statistics are going to be reported according to what looks favorable, either for the, from, the local from the local districts um, all the way up to the uh, federal government. And the higher education, you know, some of, the, some of these comments I've gleaned from, um, from my own colleagues and from the news where I've seen, and from news such as the BBC or The Guardian where um, professors have been interviewed. And um, there, it's hard um, for Chinese physicians or other professors have said it's hard to come back. You know, that China is trying to woo them back with, with expensive and fully equipped laboratories, but they said it's sometimes hard to teach because uh, their ideas about um, learning and teaching are so far different from uh, what, they, what the Western is, is as far as plagiarism because of their idea of, of working together um, and using other people. It, it's there for their use, and it's there for their own benefit, and it's not seen as necessarily unethical. Um, to, you know, work together on projects, but it's not, or even use someone else's um, problem. And so you, you've seen lots of reports, I'm sure, plagiarism or Chinese students being denied this or that or grants not being awarded um, because uh, the plagiarism is, is, is pretty obvious. Um, but there's some reasons why, 
you know, it's, it's, it's um, in that there, it's not seen as necessarily a wrong thing. And because um, it's not necessarily a meritocracy, uh, there's a lot of um, upward mobility, not necessarily based on, on, your, uh, on your merit or your ability. Um, it has to do with your ability to pass tests or um, sometimes a little bit more uh, unethical use. So just to review the medical education, there is a, in March of 2009, there was a health reform overhaul. And basically, medical students go through a three-year program, a five-year program, or a 78-year program, where the program is a, basically a bachelor's in medicine, which is three and five years. And then for years seven and eight, you can go on and get a master's in medicine. And usually that's implied that you get a master's in respiratory medicine or emergency medicine, or now they're developing a family medicine. Um, however, uh, there's very little hands-on experience. I mean, the, the rounds, I mean, the, I mean, if you have 1.7 million students <laughs> um, among 159 medical training institutions, I mean, the, 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 the number of medical students and, and residents and, and trainees are, it's just enormous. And to be able to, to get your hands on a, a patient and actually have the time to, to develop your clinical skills is, is tough. Um, this is a resident. She um, worked in internal medicine for seven years before joining our program. She had never had a chance to examine a newborn baby. And this is one of my colleagues' babies. And uh, she's here um, doing uh, an infant exam uh, for the first time. And, and uh, she's, she's pretty happy to learn uh, the general medicine. And so um, someone like that, you know, the reason that the residents have come to our program is because they've, many times they have been practicing. Uh, we've had OBGYN residents have practiced for five years. Uh, that uh, lady practiced for seven years in trauma medicine. And the system is not, it doesn't give them what they want. They're making money for the hospital. They're not even making money for themselves. Okay, Money is, is a lot of what drives um, people in China. And they're beginning to learn uh, that money isn't everything as the um, suicide rate continues to go up among young people. But, but as far as the people who really want to practice medicine, they hear about our program and they join and we give them a little uh, probation period and they join for about three or four, you know, after a month, they're just like, wow, this is, this is really why I wanted to be a doctor. And uh, it's, it's the clinical medicine, it's the attention to patients, it's patient-centered rather than system and money-centered. So I, did, I discussed a little bit about the family medicine. It's a new specialty, and residencies are not necessarily formalized, not like we have here, where there's an accreditation. Uh, you don't have to have a training for licensure. You just have to be able to pass a test that says you're a pediatrician or you're a pulmonologist. And, and um, there's uh, across the, the country in the different provinces, there's, there's no clearly stated objectives um, for a certification. It's just, well, you pass this test. Okay, you've made a master's in this specialty, and that's it. Um, but it is according to contacts and who you know about what kind of job you can get. Sometimes it also has to do with how much money you have, unfortunately. However, there is a new shift on evidence-based medicine, and there's an opportunity for um, foreign organizations to come in and come alongside the Chinese and let them take credit for everything. Uh, <laughs> that's really important. But just come alongside and help them develop uh, residents and, and help them see patients as uh, people. So there's a, there's a growing and wide variety. There's a grow, I mean, I just want to say that there it really is a growing field in that country for medical education. But cross-cultural medicine is multidimensional. I mean, it's personal and professional. I mean, you're, you're not only you're, you know, you're, I'm in another country and I'm having to learn another language and another culture, but then it's dealing with people at their most dire need and helping to uh, transfer that passion and compassion um, that I have for patients to doctors that have been trained to uh, see them as their bread and butter. And not, not always, not, I won't say it's always like that, um, but it looks different from a Western point of view to an Asian point of view. 
So then you have history, culture, religion, education, like I said before about their, their culture of learning and their culture of teaching is, is very different. And the different ec educational backgrounds. Um, I'll get into some more of, 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 that, of some of the details of um, that in a minute. But for us, you know, our own self-awareness, when you're, when you're going to another country, it's important to be your own self-aware. Understand what you're bringing from America as an American or as a German <laughs> or as an Australian um, working um, in another culture, you know, as a Westerner to Asian. Or sometimes it's the other way around. <laughs> you have Asians, you know, coming to the West, um, coming from their own, uh, their own way of doing things and having, they're having to come here. So perhaps you've experienced the other way around. Perhaps you've experienced a, a residence from Asia or professors from Asia um, immigrating to the United States or another Western country and having them try to fit their job. But coming from their context, things don't always translate right. Um, it doesn't come out right or, or their way of doing things isn't quite fit. Or you don't understand. It's not clear. And so it's, part of this is not just knowing how to how someone from our background can fit over there, but also to help you realize if someone from there is coming over here um, and trying to help you understand that they're also coming. It, it goes both ways. And being self-aware is the number one uh, foundation is a key to becoming more culturally competent in another culture. And I put role modeling down there. I mean, it's so much of what this is about is not necessarily just the knowledge that you teach, but it's the way that you are, the way that you carry yourself. We spend a lot of time, and we were going to countryside clinics. We're going to orphanages that are three hours away, and we have three hours in a van each way to spend with the residents. And, you know, we're not all talking about medicine. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's an opportunity for life on life, um, discipleship, in personal matters as well as professional matters. So, you know, we talk about cross-cultural education. I'm going to go over principles of orientation, preparation, feedback, observation, and uh, evaluation. You know, when I say, you know, there's some pitfalls, of course. Uh, those are easy to fall into. Um, but some of the bonuses that I would say uh, would be just the, the fact that I get to learn, or if you do this, you get to learn also uh, from the cross-cultural richness. You get to understand sort of their way of dealing with patients, their way of connecting with people. And you get to learn how to connect um, in another culture, maybe in a way that you thought you knew how to connect with people, but you get to learn how to connect with people of another culture. And so that's one of the bonuses. Pitfalls, of course, are complete cultural miscues and, and uh, not understanding, and those are, those are a lot easier to come by and can be funny. So, But also remember that being a good teacher involves um, seeing yourself also as a learner at the same time. But knowing your learner, asking about... Uh, Asking about their use and knowledge in previous uh, experiences. Um, for example, you know, in, in many Asian cultures, not particular to uh, Chinese, they're, they're not often allowed to ask questions in class. So if you want an interactive uh, session, you know, it takes a long time. You know, I, I was expecting, okay, ask questions or or. You know, what do you think about this? I would ask them and, and encourage them to speak up and silence, silence. You know, encouraging them to have a dialogue. Because I, I don't particularly like, I mean, I can lecture, but, you know, like I am here. But, you know, I much prefer a, a, smaller, uh, a smaller group, with, which is more dynamic and, and interactive. Well, that is not their background at all. And they're often spoon-fed everything they need to know. They're, they're, they're not encouraged to be innovative. They're not encouraged to be creative. They're not encouraged to come up with something different. And certainly, certainly do not question the professor. <laughs> um, do not ask a question that might make your superior look bad. Um, 
and do not do that. I mean, it would hurt your career. I mean, it might. Uh, and so do not ask, they do not ask questions in class. But some of it is just to encourage them. And knowing this, being gentle and uh, trying to, and part of that is also the spending time with them, the life on life. And, and, and it's a development of trust between the learner and the teacher. Helping them know you that, you know, they are safe with you. That this is a creating a safe learning environment. But you have to be very concrete about your expectations and the responsibilities that they have as a learner. And, that, and because they're coming from a different, you, you can't, but also you have to understand your own expectations. You can't expect them to just catch on and, and, and roll with it. But then you have to be clear in your under expectations of them. Like, we are going to talk. I want you to answer. You know, we are going to have a dialogue. And I'm going to ask you questions. And it's okay. You can say you don't know. And how can they learn that? I have to say I don't know. <laughs> okay? They, can ask, they ask me questions. I don't know. That, that actually is a very profound thing. Uh, when you're talking with students who have this idea that they must be perfect, they cannot not know, they have to have something. Um, because hiding deficiency is key for survival to a Chinese learner. And, you know, you just have to learn how to recognize it and deal with it appropriately. Um, you know, and they're not used to putting a lot of effort in their own education. So asking them to read ahead. We gave them homework. We gave regular homework. We gave them questions to answer and journals to read and then gave them questions about that. And giving them innovative and, you know, you have to spurn them and give them opportunities. And sometimes I felt like I was treating them more like a kindergartner than as a medical resident. Um, but it, it's, but doing it gently and with respect for the learner, they actually responded and they learned and they, and they grew. Because one of the, our goals is to make them also better learners and then better teachers in the future to hopefully develop generations of faculty uh, for organizations in, in teaching like this. So they have to know that learning involves taking risks to avoid education through shame because these are very shame-based cultures. So don't grill them. Just ask. It's okay. Um, Sometimes you have to coddle them a bit, maybe more than you might uh, in a Western residency. Um, but also you have to be concrete. And sometimes I thought, I mean, you know, seriously, you're like, do you not get this? Let me spell it out. But you have to be very concrete. And no, because if you're not getting the results that you want, and this is, this is something that I, that I learned as I was working. If you're not getting the results that you want from your learners, you have to first assess your own approach, your own instructions, and whether or not you were clear enough. Um, because we ran, into a, we ran into a problem that, you know, after a few months, a colleague and I were trying to discuss, well, why can't we get them to do this? And I said, well, let's review what we've told them first. Um, and it turns out, because we thought, in our American point of view, we thought it was clear enough or it was just understood because that's what you do because you're doctors. Well, we had to back up. Okay, well, we were assuming too much. Well, you know, that's not bad, but we were assuming too much about their, their foundation of learning or of this particular um, way of doing medicine. So we backed up, and we got more basic and more concrete, and then they responded, and then they moved forward. Asia is a high-power distance culture. Uh, it means that there's a high-power distance means there's a big separation between the, the boss and the employee and the teacher, and the learner. And so there's a high respect when I said they don't question the professor or the teacher. They don't want to make you look bad. Um, and so understanding that and helping to, you're never going to erase it. That's part of their culture. But it's a part of being, coming alongside and being friends and developing trust between the teacher and the learner. And so another thing about expectations and uh, what you're getting and the results that you're getting from your learners is understanding that limitations not necessarily due to intelligence very smart people we're talking about but it's educational background it's language it's, it's cultural misuse okay and so just learning to be patient and if 
It takes them longer. Oh, we're not going to get through this program in three years. Oh, well. <laughs> you know, you're, you're in there for the long haul. So I, I've been talking about basically orientation preparation of, of the resident. Um, SMART, you've all heard that specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-bound for cognitive procedural behavior outcomes. Um, but also when you're, when you're dealing with, we're not dealing with a high volume of residents. Okay, we're talking maybe three or four in a class, sometimes down to two in a class of residents. So there's time. I mean, partly that's due just to the limited number of faculty or the limited amount of funds to uh, pay the residents. But you, you, can, you can have personally relevant educational goals, sitting down with them and laying out your expectations, um, but also having learning about their expectations for their education and their goals for professional life. Um, how many times have I said be concrete? <laughs> um, have a handbook and have it in writing. Um, many programs have a contract, a written contract. Okay, you will do this, this, and this. I know it sounds, we all have contracts, you know, for work and things, but in the contract, it must be very concrete. If you do not do this, then you will have this, and then these are the consequences, and this is what happens. Um, speaking of consequences, you know, it was... We, we were trying to decide, well, how can we get them to do this? Or they're not turning in their homework on time. Or it was something not very serious, but something about homework. Oh, yeah, you know, we don't give the homework just for busy work. We, we really want them to, it's really valuable for them and, you know, encouraging them to put in, encouraging them to, to look things up and to put into their own learning. Well, they would not doing it or turning it in late. So my American colleagues... And I, we were trying to think about, well, how can we get them to do that? You know, because for us, it's like, well, you do it or you don't. I mean, you're just, that's, just do it. It's your word. You said you would. Um, this is part of being a resident. Looks bad. You're going to have consequences down the line. Well, for them, they didn't. It's like, what are you going to do, fire me? You know, they just weren't caring. It just wasn't important to them. And so one of my, our Chinese, we had Chinese on faculty. And they said, uh, find them. Fine. Is in money? Yeah. Money, yeah, money talks. No, I don't want to, no, that's just wrong. I mean, it's like, you know, withholding your allowance or find them. They said, find them? Well, you know, our Chinese, the, the, actually it was my superior. I mean, she was the medical director of the residency. She says, find them. I'm like, okay. So, I mean, that's what she wanted to do. My, my colleague and I are like, oh, my gosh, you know, charge them money. I'm like, well, if that's what, if that's the message that, they're going to respond. Actually, it didn't help that much, but <laughs> we weren't finding them enough, I guess. <laughs> um, so, but that's, I don't know. Um, but it was all, that was another thing about working with Chinese peers and uh, being under the, the, I mean, my Chinese, and then trying to, but it was actually, it was, it was mostly very good, mostly very rich in learning about their perspective on how you teach and but she learned from us and we learned from her it was it's I can't tell you what a rich experience it is to do this and so observation another um, another competency in, in medical education um, these are more basic and and just to review it you know you have to focus on specific skills and behaviors um, not their personalities not the way they do things um, but the barriers to this is lack of time and training, and also sometimes language. I mean, I was uh, teaching in Chinese. <laughs> um, used a lot of English because that was one of the um, pillars of the program, is that the residents would come out um, with great English and help them get jobs. Um, but you have to take the time. And I would take a lot of time in just trying to focus on, okay, History taking, okay, I saw that you did this. It's like I would watch a resident, and this is when they're, I was fairly new. We were still getting to know each other, and I would just observe a resident uh, do an exam on a baby, and I was standing right there. She knew I was looking at her. And uh, then she came to check out, and she had all these check marks, all physical exam, all normal. I'm like, you did not even take off the diaper. How can you say, you know, how can you say it's all normal? And she's like, oh, 
<laughs> like, you know, as if that was just okay. Well, I mean, it, it looked nor- well. You didn't even look, you know. It, and so it's just catching them, and it, it's observation. It's specific. It's direct. It's timely. It's very close to the time of the thing. You can't just you can't just say make a mental note and three months down the line on their quarter quarterly evaluation say, oh, I noticed you didn't do this, you didn't do this, you didn't do this. No observation. Remember what I said? Concrete. <laughs> it's right there. It's 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 a when you see something, address it. And it doesn't have to take a long time. Um, and you don't. Sometimes I wouldn't address everything I saw wrong. <laughs> um, but more of the grievous or or the things that I thought were the most um, pertinent teaching points. Um, and I thought, well, I know they'll do that other thing again. <laughs> I'll catch them on it another time. And so there's also observation, and then there's feedback. Um, feedback can be right then and there, or it could be, you know, as in the van on the way back to the hospital or the office after the after the session, and giving general uh, feedback. Um, and so it can be formal, it can be informal, um, but it should be, you know, it should it should be relaxed. Like I said, the safe learning environment is not just in the didactic session. It's not just in at the clinical at the clinic or in the orphanage or at the nursing home. Um, it's also every time you're interacting with the learner, it should be safe. And so make sure you share all your information and link to the learner's goals. Um, make sure your goals are aligned. So I've noticed something that might have become a better doctor and you know not generalizing. Um, you always do this, um, but just being more specific and as soon as to the behavior. And so don't go through a third party. This is also very common in Asia. Um, and it's a little bit more difficult. Um, sometimes, sometimes you do have to go through a third party when it's something more serious, like a very serious behavioral issue that you need to address. Um, I had to defer to my Chinese colleague about how to address more deeper behavioral long-term issues. Okay, how are we going to deal with this? But as far as um, the clinical experience, being right there, being direct, but being gentle. And like I said, it, it goes with developing trust. And so your evaluation sessions, uh, these should be regular and formal. We're not talking like the on-site feedback, but having, having a set time, quarterly or three times a year where their resident or the resident and the attending mentor or um, what do you call it the 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 resident the attending responsible for that uh, attending's medical um, education for example in, in my case I was a pediatrician so I didn't feel comfortable being a professional mentor for all their family medicine education but I could be a personal mentor and then one of my family medicine colleagues was the mentor for the academic and family medicine part. And so we had a standardized checklist, and this was also the residents know what they're going to be evaluated on. And it's verbal and written. It's regular, formal, but it's in a relaxed um, setting. You're discussing the good and the bad. And emphasize the changes in behavior and progress toward a goal over time. And so you're reading quarterly, and you're going over a set... um, set checklist, you're going over their homework, you're going over their exams, you're going over their rotations, and uh, how, they th- how they think they're progressing towards their personal education goals and what your grades are, and, and going over some of the consistent gaps in their clinical skills or in their ability to communicate or take history or something like that. You know, some of the, some of the consistent gaps that you're seeing. Make sure you're going over those. But then also it's important to give the learner an opportunity for evaluation of you and the program and making sure you're getting feedback from them about developing it. Because, you know, there is, you know, this is not something that's been set in stone. There's no accreditation. We're, we're moving forward. Uh, you know, you have foreigners teaching Chinese, and then you have Chinese teaching foreigners. There's a lot of give and take and back and forth. And so it's important to establish a dialogue. And then it's, it's but it's also intimidating for them to give them power <laughs> to evaluate 
their boss, their employer. Um, and so just remember that it can take some time. And, and they, first, they may not say anything. Um, but then over a few years, you, you, can, you can actually develop honest, honest dialogue. And so other issues uh, when you're discussing media literacy or teaching advocacy for the patient, um, it's not just, oh, they're there for a sick visit. I mean, how, how, it, it was really amazing the, the transformation I saw in residents as, as we would fight for uh, some of these severely disabled, uh, abandoned children. And we would go to the hospital, we'd take and we'd fight for it and say, no, and the, the, the foreigners would, would just continue to not take no for an answer to get care or to get a test or to look for money to pay for surgery. And the residents were, wow. Like, <laughs> and then they began to catch it. They began to catch on, and it's like, and then they, they were the ones who then started doing it. Like, so not Chinese. It was amazing, you know, how they would not just conform to the system, but they would go with us and continue and be with us and then take the fight over from us. How much more effective is that? As they saw how we fought and they saw the results and the changes in the life of the child, but in the life of the staff, the life of... The, the orphanage staff, and, and when they began to catch this over time, and then they took over the advocacy, it, it's extremely powerful. So professionalism is another thing to pass on. Uh, that's another spending time with life-on-life life, um, role modeling. It's hard to teach professionalism. Uh, procedure logs, I, I think maybe some of our other uh, colleagues speaking on a medical education will talk more about this. But also remember that you're hoping to develop future faculty to take over from, from the, the, the foreigner faculty, hopefully to develop more Chinese. And foreigners can go with, take maybe the foreigners and the Chinese together, can take a program to another city. Okay? It's, it's not just the foreigners doing it, it's, it's mostly doing it with. Okay? It's the most important thing to remember. We're, it, it's, it's an amazing synergy that happens when cultures are working together um, for the kingdom, for right, for justice. And it's sometimes it's, it's one culture has some creative bandwidth. Another culture has the, has the drive and the work. And when they're catching, when you catch vision together, and it, it's a synergy that, that's unbelievably powerful. Um, and it's, it's an honor and a privilege to be a part of that. So this is a picture of us in a, we're in a countryside. There's a bunch of foster parents brought their medical, their medically, their special needs kids. And so here we've got, in a room, you'd have like four or five residents taking a history all together in one room with, with kids who are, uh, well, they're special needs. So it can get pretty rowdy <laughs> sometimes. So making the most of it. Okay, we're all in there together, and sometimes there's a big line, and so to check out and things. So, you know, and just conclusion, there's a long way. China has a long way to go. They see it. Um, I encourage you to, to uh, look up. If you're interested in learning more about healthcare in China, look up the Lancet articles from 2010, 2008. Just, just um, search on the Lancet in uh, China. There's, they've repeatedly got a lot of stuff, very interesting, and um, about the reforms that they want to do um, that will be slow in, uh, in coming. But they're, they're coming up. And so just understand the basic principles and doing your own homework to improve your own cultural competence, cultural intelligence. And if you're getting a tough spot, if you're in a pitfall, <laughs> um, just step back, breathe, don't get frustrated. Use your experience and really just pick your battles. I mean, you're a guest in their country, and they, you have a lot to learn uh, from them. So I have a few minutes for questions. Yes.
Oh, I, there's definitely competing interests. Um, and I think, I, yeah, I, I, I don't think that they're the same. Um, but they're not necessarily the same competing interests. Um, but because of the, the culture of, of family and life and, and work and the expectations of the family on the resident, uh, and how, like, for example, a single woman in her mid-30s is absolutely like spinsterhood. I, I mean, it's like, it's really tough uh, for them, and, and they're, they're, they struggle a lot. They're often living with their parents, and their parents are, have uh, given them a, a lot of trouble trying to, you know, go, do well in school, do the best, and then they do the best, and they're a doctor, and now they haven't had time to date or meet anyone. And, or you have a new family, and um, pregnant women get a lot of time off. They're able to basically dictate what their life looks like, and you can't do anything about it. They get five months off after delivery, especially after C-section and things. And, and of course, money is very important, but they're having to, they're having to give a lot of money to their parents. Um, and so it's, it's, they have a long-term view of their own success and, and things. And also, it's, you know, it's a lot of life. We don't work our residents. They don't work, I mean, even, even after some of the, they work hard, but I don't think they work as hard. We don't put them through the same schedule um, as as what our residents go through here. I mean, it's just like culturally you can't. It's just not acceptable because of all the other things that they're having to do and and be responsible for in their private life. And so I would say yes, but for different. But the the competing interests are are different. Um, some you might say more worthy. I mean, it's hard to know. You can't really grade that. But yeah, it's true. I mean, lots of distractions. Lots of distractions. Yes? I wondered how you found or what methods you used maybe to be able to share your faith and do you have any, you know, stories of, of failure, success along those ways in your residency? Um, yeah. I, it, it's, it's really, it's rich. You get, you, you can actually be a lot more open than some people think when you're talking personal one-on-one. Our program is basically famous for being Christian in the city. And our relationships with uh, higher-up officials and other um, are the medical university officials, they all know we're Christians, and they would even uh, say that, as, but then mention, well, don't listen to them. Uh, we have nothing to hide. Um, but the, the residents that came to work with us, none of them are Christians when they come. But it's a matter of months. Within a year, all of them start following Jesus. And usually within six months. And it's not because I say anything. I don't have to. It's, it's just the fact that I'm there. And they, they're pretty amazed, actually. Like, why would you like, not work as a doctor in America and come and help these orphans and teach us? I mean, that, that's just really bizarre. Um, but then once they start following Jesus, they understand. But it's all the Chinese colleagues and the family atmosphere that, that, is, is, that we have. Some of the failures, I think, is just um, sometimes not checking up on their discipleship and not being. And so we as faculty learned that we, we probably should, you know, just because they've made a decision and they're making changes, they're making visible changes in their life doesn't necessarily mean they, they totally understand the gospel or there's some major gaps in their understanding of, of what it means to walk with Jesus. And so, and that's, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes I, I think in your formal evaluations is to, we also involve a spiritual component. Um, and also being a personal mentor, maybe the guy's, the guys wouldn't be a spiritual or a personal mentor to the women. Um, I would, you know, my uh, women colleagues would do that. But making sure that you're checking up on them regularly, because you know they're they're getting involved in the in the in the family there, in the church community and things. But making sure that they're being followed up, also. So yes. Chinese peer attending counterparts for Western positions. 
Well, the, the, my, the direct, the, the, the peer that I was working with and working under, she had been working with foreigners for quite some time before I arrived. So it was, it was not a problem. Um, sometimes it's a bit different when you're making, um, when you have colleagues, maybe the pediatrician at the orphanage or at the school or something like that, it's, there's a lot of cultural distance. <laughs> um, but you, you're just friendly and, you know, you, you understand you, you're gentle and friendly and you, so. But my colleagues have been working with foreigners long before I got there. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, I, I would try. We weren't always. They weren't always checking out um, within earshot. Sometimes they were, and sometimes we'd do a group checkout, or they would present patients. Um, sometimes you just can't avoid it, but you you diffuse it with a little humor or you ask them questions or um, it's a matter of we ha establishing a relationship and, and doing it um, in a safe way, not in a critical way, um, but, you know, making a little light of it or saying, well, that's interesting. You have x-ray vision through the diaper or something <laughs> like that, you know, but because they'll, they'll acknowledge, I mean, it's something that they've been caught and also, it's there also peers, and it's a, it's like I said, there's not very many residents there at a time, and and uh, a newer maybe a newer resident I would take aside, um, and discuss them more in private. But as as um, they become more familiar with with our group, and then it would you wouldn't have to you wouldn't have to do it so privately that they'd come alongside. So, any more questions? Yeah. Mm -hmm. very new believers or not even yet believers. Um, did you observe any opportunities for taking uh, Chinese doctors back to China? Yeah, yeah. And I'll, we can talk more about some of that later. Sure. And it depends on the role and what they want to do. But, yeah, there's definitely opportunities. Yes. Catherine, you mentioned that you also give them a chance for feedback. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of feedback did you get from them? How would they want their program or teaching to be done, to be restructured? You know, what did you hear back from them in evaluation? Um, a lot of it was just helping that we would teach in English, but they, they wanted... It was not that it was in English, but sometimes certain people's in English was not clear, um, they would like more, or that they wanted us to interject more Chinese, just to clear. Like when I would teach, and I would maybe do a didactic lecture mostly in English, but I would interject vocabulary um, or certain phrases in Chinese to translate for myself or something like that. Some, sometimes just that they're, they're in, people would not speak clearly. Or they would talk too fast or kind of mumble <laughs> in their English, and so they, they had trouble understanding that. Uh, sometimes it, it had to do with, um, oh, I'm trying to think, uh, just some of the rotations. Or, like, the residents would do subspecialty rotations at certain hospitals, and some... Some, some rotations were better than others, and so then they would give feedback. Well, we, we really don't want to rotate there again, or we got this was clearly much better, that the professors at this hospital clearly gave us more attention, uh, things like that. Um, or, hey, can, maybe we'd, we'd like to stretch this, maybe this part out. I mean, it was, sometimes it was personal, you know, as far as the particular people teaching. So that was, that was, not too serious. Yes. Thank you, Kathy. That was 
was pointed out to me, he said, you know, uh, English was not Henry's first language. And when you have someone where English is not their first language, they may speak very good English, but if you talk a little too fast, or things may not be clear, and so you have to make sure they understand you. And there's also a lot of nonverbal communication that, that you're conveying and they're not picking up. Because, what is it, 56% or more, I don't know, is, of communication is actually nonverbal. So even the gestures and things that, where they're speaking English, but they're not understanding inflections or your body language or something like that. So that's something to be aware of. Yes? Yeah, just with, um, one of the things with those in Cambodia is, you know, you have that teacher-student where you, you got to watch the same. But I noticed when we would leave the room, they would interact and would critique each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, challenge each other's ideas. And do you find that in China? Mm-hmm. I mean, like the patient with the, uh, you know, where the new resident mm-hmm. wasn't taking off the diaper. Mm-hmm. Would an older one who had been there a while, would you be able to just kind of step back and let them say, you know, why don't you take, you know, to critique yeah. each other? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Or, or, right. And and definitely my Chinese colleague could pick up a lot more on that, too. Um, some of the, she could understand some of the murmurings, or she could also come back and, and uh, say something, too. So, yeah. Yeah, in the back. Oh, good question. Um, well, finding jobs is still a problem. And so we hope to start developing more programs for teaching um, because of China's uh, push for developing family medicine. And so we hope to develop family medicine um, doctors um, as well as perhaps faculty. Uh, sometimes they end up having finding a job at a at a foreign at like a clinic that's run by, for example, Nokia might have a clinic um, for their Chinese. So they speak Chinese, but um, it's a foreign company, and they've shown a, a little bit better level of competence in their training from you know foreign doctors and things. Sometimes they, they go back and they get a master's in a subspecialty and they, they, they continue practice in a subspecialty and, and not continue in, in family medicine. Um, but sometimes there's a, or they go into some clinic area like a visa check clinic. Um, let's say in an, an Australian, you know, to go to Australia you have to get a check. That's, and so all the, the forms are in English. So it's a bilingual kind of clinic kind of thing. It's, um, it's, it's actually difficult still right now um, to find a specific niche, but we're hoping that that changes. So any other questions? I think we're over time, but I'll, there's nothing going on, I think, till for a while. So thank you for your attention.